Good morning. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here at CIV, and I hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving. A couple weeks ago here at the CIV building, we had our Impact Christian Academy homeschool co-op that we have on Tuesdays here, and the students were looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances. And so they were asked, what, what are you thankful for? And uh, one of the five-year-olds was so excited and eager. He had both hands raising up. He wanted to say what he was thankful for. And he got called on and he said, my stuffed animals. And I thought, that that's just a... Why would you be thankful for that? I had this immediate reaction of, you know, pick something better. But as I thought about it, I really realized he was putting into practice, give thanks in all circumstances. Something as small to me as a stuffed animal, he was thanking God for what he had provided for him. So I hope you all had a time to reflect and um, what you could be thankful for this year. Um, I have been reflecting on what I could be thankful for, and I'm going to preface my Thanksgiving with a, uh, a statement of, this is like total stereotypical pastor, um, so <laughs> here you go. But one of the things that I've been reflecting on and really being thankful for is the ability to have a personal Bible, to even download it for free on my cell phone. And... Um, that's unusual in the course of history. For most of history, they haven't had access to the Bible. And so I've been just really thinking about how thankful I am for the personal Bible. Back in the early church days, a, a copy of the Old Testament would have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money. And so I am thankful that I can go to the Bible every day, and look to it for guidance on life. And I'm really thankful for how God has really consoled and counseled me in the middle of some tough circumstances recently. A couple of weeks ago, I was just stuck in just this deep sadness. We received some news that uh, one of my sons, barring a miracle, he's going to be living with some health uh, sickness for the rest of his life. And I was just trying to get out of this sadness. This morning that I was feeling for him, I was praying for God to help, for, for help, but I just kept coming back to this sadness. And in my daily time with God on November 14th, I read a verse in Revelation, and it was describing what it's going to be like in eternity. And look what it says here in Revelation 21, 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. God used His Word, the Bible, to encourage me. Yes, this is not a situation I would choose, but it's not forever. And he's going to walk with us through it. He's going to bring encouragement to us at the, when we need it. I needed hope. And he gave me hope through his word. We have the ability to hear from God as we read his word. God will teach us. He'll rebuke us. He'll correct us. He'll train us in the right ways to live. 
God shows us the way forward as we spend time in relationship with him. But this ability has has not always been there. The ability to relate with a clear relationship to God was not the case before Christ. Before Christ in the Old Testament, there was this separation between God and his people because of sin. And the separation couldn't couldn't be made up. The people would make animal sacrifices to atone for their sin. And and when their sin was atoned for, there still was this separation between the people and God uh, through what God had established priests. And the priests could go to God on behalf of the people. During this time, God would speak to his people through prophets. There were four major themes that these prophets would speak to people. One was to expose the sinful practices of the people. Two, to call the people back to moral, civil, and ceremonial law of God. Three, to warn the people of coming judgment. Prophets weren't the most popular people around because of these first three things here. People didn't want to hear this. They didn't want to hear that they were living the wrong way. They didn't want to hear that they needed to turn back to God. They didn't want to hear that they were going to face judgment for their actions if they didn't turn to God. But the last purpose and theme of the prophets was something everybody wanted to hear. And that's what we're going to focus on in this message series, His Name Shall Be Called. And this was to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah was one of those prophets. He would call out the sinful practices of the people and tell them to turn back to God. And he would anticipate the coming of the Messiah. And look what he says in Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each of these names is packed with meaning. They were hope for the tribe of Judah during Isaiah's time, which was around 700 B.C. And they can be hope for us today. And we're going to focus on one of these names each week and look at the hope that it can bring us in today's world. We have a monologue to intro each of these names of the coming Messiah. They're going to help us to get ready to dive into each name that we're focusing on. Our very own Carl Simmons wrote these monologues, and they do a great job preparing the way for us. Check out this first one. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Ever been to a counselor? I was sent to counselors as a child. My experience of them was not wonderful. They weren't terrible, really. They just didn't have the right answers. And they couldn't help me. Some counselors are more helpful. Others worse. The Bible gives us examples of both worthy and worthless counselors. 
Worthless counselors often attach themselves to kings, telling them whatever they wanted to hear. The man Balaam was such a one, who appeared to have some wondrous power to see the future, and who could be bought to curse an enemy, as Balak, king of Moab, hired him to do just that. In another age, King Ahab of Israel called upon 400 prophets of Baal to give him counsel and tell him that he would have victory in battle against his enemy. But neither Balaam nor the prophets of Baal held true wisdom, and the Lord intervened against both to accomplish his own plans. Examples of worthy counselors include the prophet Isaiah, who humbly presented himself to the one Lord, and Moses, who spoke to the Lord as to a friend. Moses both counseled and judged the people of Israel, answering their questions when they did not know how to follow the command of the Lord. Meanwhile, Moses himself accepted counsel, for even he was human, and he could benefit from the wisdom of others. Following Moses, the great leaders of Israel both sought counsel and dispensed it. King Solomon was particularly renowned for his wisdom he shared with others, and many of his proverbs praise the value of receiving counsel. Today, we have many sources of counsel available to us, some worthy and others worthless. We can listen to gurus and celebrities and political leaders who can tell us what we already want to hear or urge us to act in ways that would benefit them. We can read self-help books and internet articles for prescriptions on how to live a better life. We can hire professional counselors to advise us according to their wisdom which might turn out good or bad, depending upon what source they get their wisdom from. Or, we can go to the source ourselves. As King David sings to the Lord, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. I like that option. Go to the source of wonderful, powerful, effective counsel. And also, to be attentive and listen when that source comes to me. For Isaiah had prophesied that a wonderful counselor would come, and it came to pass that one man, Jesus of Nazareth, did come. And he taught the people the law and the will of the Lord, not as the scribes did, but as one having authority. And he has invited us to try his words and know his words by the words of God, to taste and see that the wonderful counselor is here indeed. Wonderful counselor. How great is that, that the Christ follower can taste and see the wonderful counsel coming from the wonderful counselor. And what a prophecy for God's people during Isaiah's time. The anticipation of the wonderful counselor coming when the child is born would have brought deep encouragement to the people because there was chaos during Isaiah's time. As a prophet, look at what was going on. There was war, fear, and evil. It was just all running rampant during this time. King Ahaz was one of the kings that uh, was king while Isaiah was prophet, and he did evil. Second Kings sixteen two and three says Ahaz was twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out 
before the people of Israel. Put yourselves in the shoes of the people of Judah. Their leader has sacrificed his own son to false gods. Idolatry, child sacrifice, countless other sins are normal during this time. There's a, a constant threat of war and that your nation's going to be overtaken. Isaiah 7-2 describes the fear that the people were living with. It says, the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. They have no hope that in their leader that he's going to do what is right before God because he has proven have a proven track record of going against God's ways. What chaos these people were living in. These were evil days that they were living in. They were under this constant threat of harm physically, emotionally, financially. And are we going to get overtaken and I can't provide for my family? And spiritually. They were in this threat of spiritual harm that this culture is just pulling us towards the things that lead towards destruction and not God's ways. Are my family and friends, my kids, going to get pulled that way? The chaos in the tribe of Judah, it brings about a question that we all need to ask. What chaos are you dealing with right now in your life? I left some space on the handout for you to write down some of the things that you might be dealing with. Maybe you can relate to the tribe of Judah in that you're disheartened by the evil that you see going on in the world. Our public library has some sexually explicit books in the children's section. This is an evil that can do real harm to the developing brains of kids if they get their hands on these books. My wife tried to get these books just moved to another section so that it wouldn't be as easy for the kids to get it. And she was met with opposition. It's disheartening to see this at our own library and to hear about it happening at other libraries around the country. Maybe you see things like this and you're disheartened, this chaos going on. Maybe you're dealing with some emotional chaos, anger at somebody who's done wrong to you, or sadness about losing a loved one or a life circumstance that you're facing. Maybe your body's failing and you didn't anticipate it. And so you can't do what you used to do or you can't do what you want to be able to do. Maybe you're dealing with some real financial uh, struggles and it's Christmas time and the money just seems, seems to just fly out endlessly. Maybe you're struggling spiritually. You see God's way. But the opposite way seems like that's what's going to give me success and happiness. Or maybe you're struggling with doubts. Is, is God real? Is, is his ways real? There's some major parallels to what the tribe of Judah was going through and what we are facing. And look at the solution that the tribe of Judah came up with. And that was to go to mediums and necromancers. Isaiah 8, 19 says, And when... They say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. The solution of the time was to inquire of the dead through these people who said they had the gift of communicating with the death, with the dead. There's idolatry, child sacrifice, the fear of war, and, and the only thing that the world is offering as wisdom to these people is to go talk to the dead who are just going to tell you what you want to hear 
these, these mediums and necromancers are just going to tell you what you want to hear, and it's going to lead to more and more destruction. This is forbidden in God's law to the tribe of Judah, but it's what their culture was telling them to do. They're seeking help, but turning to the wrong places. And Isaiah is trying to get them to turn back to the right place. In Isaiah 8.19, he says, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Isaiah is saying we all need counsel in the chaos. And a little while later, he reveals that the wonderful counselor is coming. Think of the excitement that this would bring when we see in Isaiah, the second part of verse, uh, Isaiah 9, the second part of verse 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Don't have to go to the mediums and necromancers. The Wonderful Counselor is coming and you can have access to this miraculous, perfect counsel that is coming. You ever been in a large crowd and you're in the back and you can't see what's going on in the front, but you hear some excitement. You hear the murmurings of what's going on. And it's, it's, it's the word is getting passed back and back and back until you finally hear what's going on. And there's this buzz and excitement in the crowd. I can imagine that's what's going on as Isaiah declares the wonderful counselor is coming. Now we are on the other side of the promise of the Messiah. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. We now can have a restored relationship with God through Jesus. And we can walk with the wonderful counselor. So what does this wonderful counselor really mean? The way that we use wonderful in our culture doesn't really help us to, in understanding what the wonderful counselor is. We might say something like, I had a wonderful Thanksgiving meal. Now, your Thanksgiving meal could have been great. It could have been extremely satisfying, but there wasn't really any wonder that went into that meal. There's a recipe and ingredients that went into making that meal. You can explain it that way. Well, the word wonderful, it was originally written in the Hebrew. And what it is, is it means a miracle. It's a marvelous thing. It's, it's something that fills you with wonder, like, wow. There's this miraculous aspect to the wonderful counselor. And the New American Commentary really gives a great definition of what wonderful counselor is. It combines the idea of doing something wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous, with the skill of giving wise advice making plans and counsel. Imagine you're going to see a counselor and they miraculously knew everything about you. They know your past hurts and struggles. They know your current struggles and hurts. They know your current pains. They know how you are wired to work as a person and they have perfect wisdom. 
And they take all of that knowledge about you and all of that wisdom, the perfect wisdom that they have, and they provide with you the perfect way forward for you in the situ- in this situation you're struggling with. Wouldn't that be amazing? Word would travel quick about a counselor like that. People would travel from all over to come see this counselor. They would pay whatever copay they had to pay. They would pay out of pocket if they had to to see this counselor. Well, Christ followers have access to that counselor. And not only does he know us and have perfect wisdom, but he loves us perfectly as well. There's some situations listed on the handout that describe the wonderful counselor in action. There's the marvelous insight that he displayed with the woman of Samaria. There's the miraculous healing when he healed the man at the pool on the Sabbath. There's the amazing grace that he showed to the woman caught in adultery. And the firmness he showed towards her and the crowd that was trying to stone her. And, and again, there's a miraculous healing of the blind man. I included these stories as, as verse references for you. You can go back and read them this week and see more of the wonderful counselor in action and be struck by the awe and wonder of who Jesus was and is. Now, there's a scene in a TV series called The Chosen that depicts the woman of Samaria. And I want to show that to you today. It's, it's a long, longer scene, almost seven minutes. But this scene really shows and, and shows the heart of the wonderful counselor and really gives you a picture of what this looked like in action. Take a look at this clip. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you. In the heat, you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, 
who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with but you felt unworthy why are you doing this I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah you are the first it would be good if you believed me you picked the wrong person I came to Samaria just to meet you <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm 
I'm here in the middle of the day. I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> This is such a good scene. Gives a sense in this picture of the wonderful counselor in action. He could see this woman hurting, struggling in the chaos that was caused by her sin. And he shows her a tremendous amount of grace. And he sees what she really needs. And he gives it to her. We can have that too. The wonderful counselor is calling everyone to him. He says, come to me, all who are late, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is life. We can find rest for our souls in the wonderful counselor. And we get that rest as we learn to walk with him. And we learn, we walk with the wonderful counselor as we choose to spend time with him each day in prayer and reading the Bible. Jesus gave us the example of setting aside time to spend with the Father in Mark one thirty five, It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We can follow Jesus' example. Spend time with him, praying and reading the Bible. And we need to read the Bible believing that God is going to do what he says in 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need to read the Bible in a way that we let it. We yield to it. We let it teach us. We learn what is true about God and his ways. We let it reprove us, which corrects our thinking. When we start to think life works this way and the Bible says it's this way, we say, okay, I'm going to take that reproof and line up with God's ways. We read the Bible in a way that it corrects us. It corrects the way that we've been living that is wrong. And we read the Bible in a way that it trains us for righteousness. It shows us the right way to live so that we don't have to correct ourselves later. God will counsel us as we spend time with him. Like he did to me, reading Revelation 21.4. I was stuck in the sadness. I needed hope. The wonderful counselor gave me the hope 
I needed. He counseled me in the way to move forward and to choose hope in the situation I didn't want. We also learn to walk with the wonderful counselor by learning from his people. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I love this verse. Because the way of a fool, it seems right to them. And then it leads to trouble. But a wise man listens to advice. God will provide wonderful counsel through the people that have learned to see life from his angle. The wonderful counselor is ready to help guide us in the way forward. The copay for this counselor is that we yield our life to him as Lord, trusting in him enough to act on the way that he says we should go. Will you do that this Christmas season? Will you trust in the wonderful, extraordinary, miraculous, wise counsel of the child that was born to save the world from their sins? Each week, we have some next steps in response to the message. And I want to encourage you to look over the handout, star or circle, something that you want to put into practice this week and lean into the wonderful counselor this Christmas season. He loves you more than you can imagine. If you have any question about God's love or anything that we've talked about this morning, Let me know in the comments on the connection card and somebody from CIV will reach out to you and talk to you about the wonderful counselor this week. Let's pray and ask for help to walk with the wonderful counselor during Christmas season. God, we thank you that you revealed yourself as the wonderful counselor and oh, the hope that that would have been for the tribe of Judah and the hope that it is for us. We can walk with the wonderful counselor, rest in his advice, and know that it is the right way forward. Help us to do that. Help us to prioritize spending time with you in this busy Christmas season. Help us to prioritize getting our question answered about you so that we can Lean into your truth and walk forward with you in the way that's going to lead to a life of success and blessing. We ask for your help, Lord. We praise you. We thank you that you are the wonderful counselor. Help us to walk forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen.